0: I have the honor now of introducing our first keynote speaker, the incredible Jeremy Miller. uh, I've been instructed by a very wise person to not introduce the speakers with how much I love them, but I'm going to do it anyway. um, What I want to say about Jeremy is Jeremy Miller is the co-founder of Rehab Road Trips and if you want to know what Rehab Road Trips is, see Jeremy or Dallas. Where are you? Dallas is back there in the camera incredible multimedia company helping our field elevate the message the authentic message of really who you are who you've come here to be Uh, jeremy is also someone who was with me as my chief marketing officer but way more than that because he quit his full-time job and started working for conscious recovery are you ready drum roll february of 2020 right and we're like oh pivot Oh, Pivot, now what do we do? So we did a lot of shows, we brought a lot of people on, and we talked about what it was like to stay sane in an insane world. Yeah, I felt that. So now I know Temple, I'm I'm just gonna do it, because I do also love Jeremy very much, and his message is profound. He's an incredible coach, he's an incredible counselor. Um, he, yes, he does work with media, but his message is so profound to me, and I am so grateful for you. You're one of my dearest friends and colleagues. Everyone, let's welcome Jeremy Miller. Check, 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 check,
1: check, check, check. Everybody hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm usually that guy. So this, I'm going to just name it because this is the emergence of authenticity. I'm nervous. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is everybody stand up. Yeah. This is mostly for me, but I'm going to bring you with me. Okay? All right. So the first thing we're going to do might feel like a reach, but well, we're going to try and do it anyways. Okay. We're going to take our metaphorical work hat and we're going to take it off. I'm going to take off your work hat and then you see Dallas over there. Throw your work hat to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now we're going to shake it out. Oh, yeah. We're not at work, either. We're just hanging out. Deep breath. One more. Okay, now look to the person to the right of you or to your left. Give them either a high five or my personal favorite, a hug. Let's get some hugs.
0: Perfect.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Get some hugs.
0: Get those hugs.
1: All right. We're getting hugs. Perfect. All right, everybody, you can grab your seats once you've got your hugs in. I'd like to take you guys on a journey with me today and to journey where we are going. I wanted to do it as human beings, not colleagues or coworkers, but just humans. How does that feel for everybody? Nice. Pretty good. Okay. I'm going to name something. I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to come up here and talk about for the last two weeks. I stayed up all night last night trying to figure it out, but didn't come up with much and the good ideas I did have, I forgot to write down. <laughs> Now, being that a lot of people are late and stuck in traffic, I have a little bit of renewed confidence. Um, And I want to tell you guys a story that is difficult for me to tell. And my commitment to you is that I will give you 100% of my authenticity in exchange for one and only one thing. And that is a little bit of grace. If I fumble through it, does it seem like a good deal? Yes. Okay. I was trying to figure out what to talk about, and I realized that I've been stuck on something with my therapist for like six months. So six months ago, my therapist, her and I were doing some family work, talking about all this stuff in my childhood, right? And she gave me a prompt, and that prompt has been rattling around up here ever since. This is six months, okay? And from that prompt, I've done a lot of writing. I've done a couple podcast episodes because it's a very big prompt. And the prompt was, Jeremy, tell me the first time you felt unconditional love from your mother. (sighs) Right? So I started digging and I realized that the moment was very specific. I was in the car with my mom and I had just become aware of her mortality. I think we all at some point kind of recognized like, oh shit, like they're not gonna be around forever. And I started to panic, an actual panic attack. And the thought that kept rattling around was that we're not gonna have enough time. And the bummer about that is that there's nothing really I could do to change it and I was so spun and so panicked in my mind no one on planet earth could make me feel better I've got kind of a lone wolf thing where I'm the only one that can help me sound familiar to anybody (laughs) so my mom did something incredible she put her hands on my arm and she looked me straight in the eyes and she said Jeremy don't worry Everything's going to be okay. We have all the time in the world and I don't want to spend it worrying. Boom. In an instant, it was gone. I believed her. I felt like she was telling me the truth and that all this panic and concern and fear and anxiety just left in an instant. And that was the first time that I felt a mother's love. The kicker, the twist is that I met her the day before, for the first time in my life. Being adopted is kind of a trip. i only share this if you feel comfortable, but are there any other adoptees in the house? Or is it just me? It's a couple. I see you. I see you. Thank you. It's a trip because when I was a youngster, at a very early age, I knew that I was different somehow, but I didn't know how. I felt like i was always on the outside but just barely like i i wanted to belong but i I didn't really feel like i belonged and this feeling of distance was very intense so intense that even through my years of drug use and, and drinking i can still remember what it felt like as a kid and there were no shortage of adults who would reinforce this idea that I was different. I'll give you an example, and it's, it's kind of funny now, but at the time, it was a little much. So I'm a little kid, and I'm, I'm a brown kid, okay? And my parents, Bruce and Molly, are about the whitest people on planet Earth, okay? And we lived in Littleton, Colorado, all right And so here's Bruce and Molly, the whitest people on planet Earth, walking around with this brown kid, right? And people would go, So how uh, how does does this work? Is this like a a milkman situation or something? (laughs) True story. And when I was a kid, of course, the reference went way over my head. But I knew that I was different, that something wasn't the way it was supposed to be. When I was 10, my parents told me that I was adopted. And the reason they told me when I was 10 is because we got a letter from my birth family. Now, I was, a, I was adopted through the, the Catholic Church, and it was a closed adoption, which just means that it was impossible to find my birth family, and also, if we wanted any correspondence, it would have to go through the adoption agency first, okay? So they would make sure that any correspondence, there were no last names, no phone numbers, no addresses, no way for one to discover the identity of the other. Make sense? so we get this letter and it's from my birth mom and she's introducing her and the family and i i learned that i have siblings that after me they had two other kids that they kept and in that i learned that my birth dad played music and was a gifted musician and all these other things and it was beautiful but remember i'm 10. right so i'm just like wow neato and that was pretty much it i didn't have the emotional capacity to really understand what was at play. So we wrote a letter back and I I read my letter sometimes and it is just the funniest thing. I'm like, I like baseball and I like the skateboard and you know, and it's just like, wow, dude. Um, So we wrote a letter back and then we never heard anything. Never heard back, that was it. But in that letter, they also sent a lot of pictures. And in these pictures was my birth mom and my birth dad and my siblings. And I carried this picture of my birth mom in my pocket from the time I got it into my late 20s. As I got older and got into high school, I discovered alcohol and drugs. And I'm not going to go into my addiction story because you've heard it all a million times. But when I drank and did drugs, I didn't feel like I was on the outside. I felt like I was part of, like I belonged, like I was home. So naturally, it, it served me very well to drink and use drugs until of course it didn't. And the pinnacle of my addiction was in 2008. And between the time I was 10 and the, the time 2008 rolled around, we had tried like hell to find my birth family to no avail. We couldn't find it. My dad spent probably 20 grand trying to find private investigators You know, the the unfortunate reality of being born in the late eighties is that nothing was on computers yet. Right. And like where, so where are all these files? Like there's just stacks of paper. So anyways, it was impossible for us to find them in 2008. My addiction had crescendoed and I ended up living in a tent in my parents' backyard. And the way it happened was. My parents told me they were getting divorced. My roommate had enough of my shit and he kicked me out. And I called my dad, I said, dude, I have nowhere to go. And he said, look, man, me and your mom are going through a divorce. We do not need you and all that crazy on top of it. I said, dude, I have nowhere to go. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, I guess the only option is to pitch a tent out back and ride it out. And and he was kidding, but my attic mind, I was like, dude, that's a great idea. It's actually like, that's not bad, dad right so i pitched a tent in the backyard and i know what you're picturing like oh man that sucks you know and it it definitely did but like also i feel like i'd be lying if i didn't say that it wasn't actually as bad as you might think because I, i had a little bit of electricity right i had a queen size mattress in there you know what i mean like a little stove for my food so as far as living in tents goes this was like pretty first class you know what i mean I I had this plan that I would be in the tent for a month, right? I'd go, okay, I'm moving into the tent. My girlfriend left me. I get it, dude, I'm moving into the tent. So what am gonna do? I'm gonna get a haircut, I'm gonna get a job, I'm gonna lose a little weight, you know what I mean? I'll quit drinking. I'll meet a new girl, we'll get a place together and life's gonna be awesome. One month I gave myself. Do you guys think that that's what happened? No, 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 it did not happen, no. I was in that tent from July of 2008 until January of 2009. Survived the Colorado winter in a tent, and it was wild. You know, I, I remember I, I duct taped a shoe to a tent pole, and I'd have to push the snow. Otherwise, my tent would collapse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wild. In the tent, I tried to take my life, and I got very, very close. And a few days later, I did something that changed my life forever. I watched Iron Man. Anybody seen Iron Man? Raise your hand if you've seen Iron Man. Dude, that movie fricking rips, right? <laughs> right? So I watched Iron Man. As soon as it was over, I watched it again. And the reason I was so taken by this film is that I had this realization I'm looking at Tony Stark, this billionaire genius playboy, and he ends up in a cave. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a billionaire and I'm not a genius and I'm definitely not a playboy, but I'm also, I'm in a tent and that's kind of close. Right? (laughs) And I come to this realization that maybe, just maybe, I am a character in my story. Maybe I'm the hero of my own story. And if if I accept the call to adventure and leave this ordinary world that I've been in, maybe I could change my life. So Joseph Campbell studied stories and myths thousands of years old, right? And he discovered that the way we've been telling stories has pretty much been the same since forever, right? It's called the hero's paradigm or the hero's journey. It's the archetype for every movie you've ever seen every story you've ever been told. And I happen to be completely obsessed with movies, so me and Joseph Campbell we be fine, you know what I mean? In the hero's journey, the hero always rejects the call to adventure at first. Right, anybody seen Star Wars? Raise your hand if you've seen Star Wars. Okay, I just need to know who to yell out at later. Okay, Luke Skywalker did not want to leave Tatooine to blow up the Death Star, remember? Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, "Dude, this princess like needs our help." And Luke Skywalker's like, "Nah. I'm gonna be a farmer, dude." They reject the call. Neo didn't want to go into the Matrix at first. It took a little nudging from the friend or the mentor role in the story. When they accept the call to adventure, they leave the ordinary world behind them and enter the extraordinary. And in act 2 of the movie, our main character fumbles around and finds himself, which is why it pays off in act three. You guys with me? Making sense? So I thought to myself, if I accept the call and leave this ordinary world, maybe my life would change. The next day, I told my mom I was ready. I was on a plane at three o'clock that afternoon to treatment. I was in 2009, I've been sober ever since. Thank you. In 2019, I'm 10 years sober. Right? And I asked myself over the years, where is I wonder what I could do to find my birth family. I had tried just about everything you could imagine. I even at, at the treatment center I worked at, the IT guys were a bunch of hackers. You know, like <laughs> when they were doing drugs, they were straight up hackers right and I told them about my birth family like I don't have last names I don't know where they live I don't know anything and they're like oh dude we'll find (laughs) them. oh we're gonna find them, dude I could I could hack into Google right now I could find your mom they couldn't in 2019 I was getting coffee with a friend of mine excuse me I'm getting coffee and her and I are talking about generational trauma naturally the fact that I was adopted came up, and she said, Jeremy, I think you should try and find your family. I said, dude, I've tried everything. There's absolutely zero chance I'll find them. She said, yeah, 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 no, I I get that, but I think you should try anyway. Now, she's one of my more woo-woo friends. You know, she's got the crystals and the spiritual stuff, and, like, don't get me wrong, dude, I love that stuff. And she seemed very certain that I should try again. To be honest, I didn't like trying. I tried a lot and I oh, just bummed me out, you know what I mean? But she seemed serious, so I, I tried. I took out the letter and I put it on my coffee table. I put all the pictures like this and I just paced. And I tried not to think, I tried to just feel. In the letter, my birth mom told me that my baby brother, Nova, had muscular dystrophy. Anybody familiar with it? Long story short, dude, it sucks. But I had never really considered that as a, a clue or a breadcrumb before. So I started Googling muscular dystrophy, dude, Ugh, mega huge bummer for the record. But in that I learned most people don't make it out of their teens. I knew he was born a couple of years after me and now I had a window. His name was Nova, and it's a less common name, especially for a dude. So I thought, dang, I'm going to try. Let's try honing in on Nova and muscular dystrophy and just play with that in Google and see what happens. I'm 10 pages deep, and you know page 10 results, dude. It gets, it gets weird down there. <laughs> All right? I'm on page 10, and there was a link. I click it, and it's this obituary. My heart fumbled its way down into my stomach. I can't really describe what it was, but I was too late. I took a moment and then I kept reading. And in that obituary was the first and last name of my entire family. Oh shit. This is the farthest we've come so then i start googling their names and i'm going to leave them out for you know i know we i know they all are creepy but we have a tendency to google stuff for their sake i'm going to leave their names out but i start googling names their names are very common unfortunately so it's like kind of a needle in a haystack but at least i had the name in the letter they said they lived in missouri but i thought to myself well divorce rates are pretty high what if they got divorced and You know, one of them moved back to Denver where I was born. So I start putting in Facebook, their name plus Denver, fumbling around, seeing what I can find. I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. My sister, I'm looking for my birth sister at this point, and her name is super common too. I'm literally going like this on my phone and just letting it fly, right? My roommate at the time asked me if I wanted a grilled cheese, and I'll never forget it because what I'm about to tell you sounds made up but on my life, this is how it went. My roommate Michael said, hey, you want a grilled cheese? I look over and I say, yeah. I look back and my finger was on my birth sister's profile. I know this because when I clicked it, there were Star Wars memes. She had Quentin Tarantino banners. And I said, holy shit. (laughs) This is the first time, mind you, that I've ever looked like someone before. I grew up not resembling any of my family. You know how weird that is? People look at you just kind of like trying to do the math, you know? But people never, never once did I get, oh, you look like your mom. It doesn't seem like much, but it's a lot. I find my sister, start looking in her about section, boom, I find my birth dad. But the one I was really after was my birth mom. She was the one I needed to know. She's the one whose picture I had on me for 10 plus years that I would look at and wonder about every day. What's, what's she like? What's her laugh like? I wonder what it's like to be her son. I wonder what her, what her hugs feel like? These are the questions I would ask myself looking at this picture. And then I found her profile too. So I panic and I freak out. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? So I write him a message and it's long because I'm, I'm wordy already. And it's like, what do you say? Like, hey, what up? I'm your kid, you want to hang out, you know, I worded it very, very well. And their response. You want to hear what they said? Is that interesting? Yes. yes. What did they say? Marina temple. <laughs> I love temple. This is from my birth dad, Jeremy. Oh, my God. I have searched for you for so many years. We have so much to talk about and I'm overjoyed to hear from you. I'm on the phone with your birth mom. We are crying our eyes out. I can't, even ex- I can't even explain with words how we feel right now. It's like the sun just came out after 30 plus years. My birth mom wrote me. Whew. Jeremy, I have prayed and dreamed about this day for 30 years. Afraid that you wouldn't want to have contact with me. Always dreaming of the day that we would meet, that I would find you or that you would find me. We never stopped looking and I'm glad you didn't either. I have to admit I'm an absolute mess. Your birth dad sent me some pictures. You are so handsome. I know that this is uncharted territory, but just know that my heart is open. I'm on the floor. Two months later, I met him. And that's when I felt my mother's love for the first time in my life. I was worried about time because I had just found her and she told me about a medical condition she had and my first thought was I didn't find him soon enough. We have a great relationship and it is full of all the family stuff you'd expect. Tragedy, sadness, anger, all that good stuff. You might be wondering why I'm telling you this story. The theme for this conference is the emergence of authenticity, healing the healers. Well, I believe that stories have a lot more power than we really give them credit. 5,000 years ago, we didn't have therapists, you know what I mean? We had each other and we had stories. I tell you this story because eight months ago, my mental health totally nosedived. And it took me two months to pick up the phone and call somebody, to call a colleague. I called at least 10 people and I said the three magic words, I need help. Do you know what more than half of them told me in return? Guess, any guesses what they said back? They said, me too. Me too. Me too, it broke my heart. I said, dude, have you told anybody? No, just you. Hmm. Hmm. I tell you this story that I genuinely do not enjoy telling about my family. I tell it to you because I want you to see me. That's not something that I do. I don't let people in. I don't let people see me. I'm hiding behind my humor, behind my smarts behind my camera, you know, but answer me this true or false. When you see me in this story, you also see some of you. True or false. True. When you see me, I see you. That's healing the healers. It took two months for me to tell people who do this for a living that I need help. If it were a client, he's of cake. But why isn't it like that for us? It's because we have these ideas that we have to be something other than we are. And I tell you this story to show you that I am just this. I'm terrified up here right now. Me and my friend Anxiety are hitting the ceiling. <laughs> But the more I let you see me, the more that you see you. And that's how we heal. We don't heal healers. We heal ourselves, right? And the way we do that is sharing authentically what I go to conferences. Okay. Everybody's been to West coast. Okay. 8 million times. People ask me who you with, what do you do? What would happen if instead we say, who are you really? Probably better conversations. We all ask those questions. We don't give a shit, dude. You know what I mean? All we know is we have a hundred business cards we got to put in Salesforce, (laughs) right? So what would happen? What would it create if we started to approach it just a little different? The invitation I'm extending to you is very, very simple. We're on this path, and it's not easy. But luckily, we're surrounded literally by people that serve as our friend and as our our mentors. Friends and mentors. They usher us along the hero's journey that each and every one of us is on. Without them, we could not do it. We couldn't accept the call to adventure. We couldn't leave the ordinary world and enter the extraordinary if we were alone. And that's the point is that acknowledging that a we are the hero each and every one of us and b we are surrounded by friends and mentors that serve to usher us through if we let them and that is how we reach our full potential and redemption in the third act and the beauty of the three acts is that they cycle over and over again and one act may be super long and the others may not you guys seen the godfather Dude, the first hour and 20 minutes of that movie is a freaking wedding, right? That's the best film i ever made. You see, you see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how long or short the acts are. All that matters is that we hold the deepest truth there is that we are the heroes of our story. We have surrounded ourselves with friends and mentors that see to it that we follow our hero's journey if we let them. And the invitation I extend, if I could leave only one thing, it would be this. That when it's, it feels impossible, when it feels like we're at an all-time low, like we're all alone, like we can't do it, like the world is pushing against us with everything it's got, the reminder is that maybe, just maybe, it's still Act One. Thank you.